to the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast, where we feature unscripted interviews with graduates of the United States Military Academy Class of 1991. The Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast with your host, Jamie Schleck, starts now. All right, welcome everybody. Welcome to the Old Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Schleck, and today is March 15th, 2020, and we are in the middle of Coronavirus City. It's crazy town, and our ghost, our, our, our guest tonight is uh, our esteemed classmate, Johnny Coogan from Company F3. John, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Awesome. Doing? Yeah, I'm doing great, doing great. Good to see you. We got the video you got the yeah. video going in, in Zoom, but we're not on Facebook Live currently because there's some some hiccups with Facebook Live. You know, these nights, I, 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 it's hard to it's hard to do this in advance, but sometimes these nights where there's a lot of Facebook utilization, like um, the Oscars, yeah. and also the night of the um, uh, the the night that we had. Uh, well, tonight's the the Democratic uh, debate, and mm-hmm. so yeah. it could be that there's a lot of people using Facebook uh, Facebook Live, right. But uh, we're in the middle of a national emergency. I mean, so in terms of documenting what's going on, today is March 15th, and uh, recently we've had this uh, influx of this virus from China, the coronavirus, and, and, the, and the world's shutting down. We've been, you know, two days into a national emergency, uh, and we've got, uh, I think, uh, check my coronavirus uh, my coronavirus uh, network thing here. It's like almost 3,000 cases in the U.S. and it's qu- quickly climbing. Uh, John, yeah. wh- where, are you, where are you located right now? I am uh, living now out in Las Vegas, Nevada. I've been out here about three years. Um, I moved out here when the uh, Vegas Golden Knights hockey team was formed. I was, I was running a nonprofit for the owner uh, called Pull the Flag Foundation, and when he got the team, he, he moved me out. So three years later, still loving it. Still haven't gotten used to the heat, but it's uh, it's, it's not a bad place to be. How hot is it now? Uh, today it's, it's been mild. It's only actually in the 60s. So um, normally around this time it's about 75. It doesn't really start getting into the hundreds until let's say early May or mid May, and then that lasts until September. According to the coronavirus uh, dashboard tracker, there's 24 active cases of coronavirus right now in Nevada. No. That's why they're actually shutting down a lot. I mean, you've, you've, you've caught the news on MGM. I mean, all the, all the day clubs, all the nightclubs, a lot of the restaurants. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a surprisingly dead city. Uh, almost no traffic on the roads. Uh, the strip I was down there today for some meetings was, was virtually empty. Yeah, I mean, it'd be, it's interesting to kind of document this time. So this is Sunday night. This is like, you know, I think we're – this is – not quite the calm before the storm, but people are anticipating what's going to be a major run-up of of cases. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting, you know. I had your company mate uh, Sam Yinks on on the line uh, just a few months yeah. ago, and so yeah, Sam, I watched, I watched that. Did you? Yeah. So mm-hmm. Sam and I were talking about like what's the. I remember him saying the thing you got to worry about is smallpox. Like you know, the, a lot of these like the H one N one and you know these these viruses they're they're dangerous, and obviously they're dangerous for a select population the elderly population but they're not like entirely deadly although they're 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 right. very um they're easy to transmit i guess you know they're very contagious yeah so i, I think you're right and i you know he obviously he spent a lot of years and has a lot more expertise in, in uh 
disease control and, and that sort of thing. But you know, I think generally speaking, what I've been reading is uh, it's, it's more about containment than it is about uh, worrying about you know casualties. It's, you know, containing the spread so that it doesn't get to more of the susceptible people. Well, I think also the big thing they're trying to prevent is a big influx into emergency rooms at the same time. So if they can flatten yeah. us out, they have less of a demand on our on our infrastructure. But I can only imagine what it must be like. I mean, you mentioned you've had to cancel events, right? Because you're you're working mm-hmm. in nonprofit, and so yeah. you know your world has been affected. My world's been affected. I've had to cancel events as well. But mm-hmm. I can only imagine what it must be like right now inside the green machine, trying to figure this out, like all the different permutations of what could be happening. I actually was texting back and forth with our classmate Holly West, who's at West Point. She mm-hmm. runs the operations for Holly West, uh, for for um, for for West Point, and mm-hmm. I was like texting her back and forth, asking her a question about something. And she's like, "I'm just so busy, I can only just get like a two second text out because they're just. Yeah. I think they're just like in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people didn't expect this so quickly. I I, I think for us out here, um, just talking from the, the layman's terms, what, what I think a lot of these um, casinos and and um, industry type companies are worried more about is um, the temporary workers and, and those that, that are relying on you know day you know, hourlies and things like that. You're seeing a lot of layoffs that are starting to happen. It's going to impact the economy here locally. Um, I'm sure they're not as prepared as they wanted to be for something like this. Uh, what I do think is because of this, I think uh, you know preparedness over time for even even something like this is going to be a lot better than, than we've had in the past. Well, we should say hello. We got a couple of classmates that are on the line right now. So we got Buck Rogers, we got Pat O'Brien. They're they're listening in. You guys are welcome to chat in questions. Um, I expect we'll probably have a few more before the end of the uh, podcast. But uh, people are just you know dialing in, having to go through Facebook first, and then realizing that we're doing this on the Zoom call. So I'm sure we'll get yeah. some, some more people that. Uh, uh, no, keep uh, O'Brien muted because I don't think he's got any good stories in the West. Is he? He's he's F three, right? He's an F three guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll we'll have to unmute him at one at some point, or he can unmute himself, yeah. and then he can start chiming in and and talking <laughs> some some F three smack. What were you guys call F three what F three what F troop F troop. Okay. F troop. Yeah, we won't talk about our other nicknames after after certain scandals, but. Yeah, F troop mount up. That was that's what we're about. Yeah. I mean, well, well, we should just touch on this. I mean, it's a little crazy. You guys had the. Uh, the the, the the drug thing that happened, right? There's the, some, some yeah, of the upperclassmen, and one of our classmates got tagged in that too, was kind of an innocent bystander, but got got stuck with it, huh? Yeah, yeah, good guy. Um, DiMartino, Sean DiMartino. Um, it was really a scandal that was probably with the class A89, some, some knuckleheads from that, from that uh, class that, you know, did some things that we, we, we as a company weren't proud of, but there was some fallout as a result. You know, impressionable feeds. And, and some yearling probably was that were um, we, was that our plebe year or yearling year that that happened? Um, that I, that was our yearling. Year. Well, actually, OB, I believe that was our yearling in, in the in the first half of the year is when I think uh, Martino left. Had to be. Had to yeah. be. I, I would think. I, would, I don't know if we had one as a plebe. I don't know. Yeah, no. I, th- I think it was early in, in our our yearling year. I'm gonna unmute oh, him just in case he wants to say I don't really remember something. the first half of my time at West Point. I was, I was running scared. I do remember. Uh, Beast Barracks, and I remember the the Schleck base. Yeah, that was you know I've always managed to be the heat magnet wherever I am, whether it's you know at West Point and Ranger School, it's just it, wherever. I mean, I, I always try to avoid you know drawing attention to myself, and somehow I do something or something happens <laughs> where I'm like you know everybody's like you know the person to to yell at. So, well, on behalf of everybody else in our company, Beast, 
I, I thank you for that. Well, because you drew attention away from a lot, a lot of unsquared away people like me. I think it was actually one of your one of your upperclassmen guys that named it because he was yelling at me in the mess hall. And so I was like, he was like behind me, but not like directly behind me. He was like sort of behind me, like where my, like right behind my ear. So he's yelling mm-hmm. at me. So I want to like turn to face him to like, you know, to be respectful and listen to, you know, look him in the eyes while he's yelling at me. And, uh, but he, so it wasn't like 90 degrees and he wasn't all the way back. He was sort of in the middle. It was like 270 degrees. And so I turned to face him and he's like, what the hell kind of a face mo- movement was that? You know? And I just, <laughs> I guess I just popped off with him like, well, sir, that's the yeah. Schleck face. And then from there, that was it. That was, that was yeah, it. Schleck, Schleck yeah. face. And then everybody had me doing the Schleck face and Schleck face, Schleck face. And then, so they were, you know, that was the thing. I wonder if it was, was it a cow or a firstie from, from our it company? W- probably was a firstie because weren't all the firsties um, the cadre when we were plebes? Yep. Yeah. I'm trying to think who, who it could have been. I, all those people, again, you know, there was, there was a couple that, you know, just kind of zoomed in on on, on the folks that were were, were uh, not as squared away as they needed to be. And I was one of those during the, the academic year. Um, they also didn't like the fact that I was on four squad tables. So they couldn't get at me during lunchtime and breakfast. What team were you on? Um, I was I was with the hockey team for the for year. Oh, you were? So, you play, yeah. so you're a Jersey boy. So where did you play hockey? You played hockey here in New Jersey? Yeah, I played at um, I played St. Peter's Prep in, in Jersey City and, and Montclair High School before that. So I transitioned to Prep, um, and then you know West Point, I didn't see much ice time, but I, I walked on and was part of the team for year, and then quickly realized that my grades were were uh, more important, and I wasn't good enough at hockey to do both. So, at the advice of um, of our attack officer uh, Frank Kearney, I, I stepped down on the hockey team and focused on academics. So uh, St. Peter's Prep is in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. You're a fellow Jersey boy. I'm from New Jersey as well. Yeah. I didn't really make the connection until years later that we're both from New Jersey. But St. Peter's Prep, that's where um, Mike Simon's kids both went there. Uh, oh, yeah? And, yeah, one one plays football for Notre Dame, and the mm-hmm. other one I think is in his senior year right now and is going to maybe also go to Notre Dame, also with, like just a stellar athlete. Nice. Yeah, small yeah, world. Yeah, prep, prep was a good school. I, I, go, I go back for a lot of those reunions too and – I went to. I grew up in in uh, suburbs in a place called Upper Montclair, New Jersey, and took a train in every day to and from Jersey City to go to St. Peter's Jesuit High School. And you know, I credit that high school with preparing me uh, for West Point. They're the ones who nudged me to to apply early, to take advantage of the uh, the early action plan, try and kind of beat the, beat the masses to, to the punch, so to speak. And you know, they set me up well. They, I was well rounded. I played played some sports, involved in a lot of activities, and obviously my my academics because of the Jesuits was pretty good as well. So I want to jump I want to jump to that later. Like getting back to sort of the arc of the podcast and the whole purpose of the podcast. You know, first we're going to start with the here and now, what you're doing, what's going on, where sure. you live, and then we'll go back to the West Point thing. Then we'll walk through, get to the Army, and I'm sure we'll hit some other stuff along the way. Uh, we sure. should say hello to Nancy Lynn Green, who's uh, also on the podcast. Hi, Nancy. And she she was actually in China not long ago. Um, and Moni Fox just joined. So uh, good to have right. you, frontline worker, on um, helping to battle coronavirus. So thank you for joining, uh, Moni. And um, so, uh, um, so, so dealing with the here and now. So kids, family, uh, mm-hmm. living situation, work, you know, wh- wh- where are you right now? 
So, so I've got two kids. I've got a, a daughter, 16, a sophomore in, in high school, a place called Faith Luther out here. And my son is 13. He's a, a, a seventh grader um, at the same school, Faith Luther Middle School. Daughter plays uh, varsity lacrosse. She's a, a, a concert piano player. My son is um, both a hockey player and, and a um, baseball player. So um, they're doing great. Um, still married, but only only barely uh, to my wife of 17 years. Um, I'm, I'm going to be testing the waters pretty quickly here with uh, being single in Las Vegas, but it's all a good story, and, and we're just moving forward. Um, my soon-to-be ex works with me at a company that I started last year called MBS Pet Care, which is uh, at-home uh, mobile veterinary services. And so I own that with a couple of friends of mine, and she she runs the office for us. So we've been in business about a year, doing doing great, um, doing well enough to where I had to quit my my work running the Folded Flag Foundation for West Pointer Bill Foley Class of '67, and and the foundation for the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, so I left there back in late October to focus full time on growing my business. That's great. That's great. I mean, it's obviously got to, I'm, I'm very sorry to hear about the situation with, um, you know, your marriage, but, um, it's great that you guys are in your own business and I guess I mean, you gotta, you've got it, you got it together, right? So you're, you're going to continue yeah. to work together and, and power yeah, through the this. Whole, the co-parenting thing. I mean, Vegas has a, has a knack for uh, testing relationships. So it's just one of these places there, there's so much going on all the time that the, the, the distractions from, actually getting out and spending time <laughs> can be a little bit overwhelming for both of us. So, so we decided to just kind of do what's right for the kids, co-parent, be good friends and, and move forward. And, and that's what we've been up to. Well, one of the things that I think people have come to really appreciate through these podcasts, we've had a couple of these conversations is just, you know, real life, right? Like we're not, we're not all like we, we have all been through so much together. We're not exactly trying to, um, you know, bullshit each other. I mean, life, life happens, right? So I appreciate your honesty with that. And I'm sorry that you're going through that, but I'm also impressed by your perseverance and, and your, and your perspective. So thank you for that. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, and so tell me about this MDS pet care. Like how does that actually work? As you said, is a mobile veterinary pet yep. care? Yeah. So I've got, um, vets that, that basically ride around in, um, vehicles equipped with uh, all, all the supplies and controlled substances and equipment that they would need to go into people's homes literally um, as, and provide wellness care. So we do everything in the home up to and excluding anything that would require uh, uh, anesthesia. And for that, we schedule days uh, where we go into surgery rooms and, and uh, do dental and, and spaying and neutering and uh, different surgical procedures for animals. But for the most part, my, my vets are on the road in the valley um, from 8 to 6 every day. How'd you, how'd you get into that, I mean, of all things? That's kind of an interesting uh, business to be in. Yeah. Well, it's crazy. I was uh, literally at, at the baseball fields with my, with my son and standing around like, like a good you know, baseball dad does, talking to the other dads. And one of the guys who was heading up operations for uh, the Venetian Palazzo, Sands Corporation. Uh, his son is on the team, and and I was talking about wanting to throw some money into something, and he, he mentioned that he just invested in this corporate franchise company based out of Boston, uh, MBS Pet Care. I threw some money into it. Um, didn't have a ton to spend, but in in doing that, I got to know uh, the owner and founder of the overall franchise company, and he asked me if he if, if I wanted to help him open up Las Vegas because he saw a lot of potential for the model out here, 
and I was all in. So I kind of, you know, put whatever time I could into that uh, to launch it back uh, in March. It was March 4th, 2019. Didn't really pay much attention to it until, until the summertime. and realized that we were generating revenue and there was an opportunity to do more if I just had some time to pay attention. So I slowly created my plan to kind of get out of what I was doing and focus on, um, you know, investing in, in vehicles and, and uh, putting some efficiencies in place through technology, that sort of thing. And uh, we ended the year strong. One vet at the end of the year, we did uh, about 360000 annualized in revenue. And uh, we hired our second vet in the summer. We'll hire a third vet. Um, and slowly we're going to be creeping into Arizona and hopefully Southern California sometime in 2021. So is this like a premium model? Do people pay more money to have you come to their home compared to where it would be if they had to go to the vet? They do. I think the, the biggest difference is we do charge a, a house call fee. So um, it's, it's nominal um, compared to some of the other things that you're paying for uh, in terms of uh, you know, drugs and procedures in the home. But here we pretty much average about $100. Um, but where, where we recoup savings for people is in our national relationships with pharmacies and labs. We're able to um, save money and, and uh, pass some of that savings on to the, on the customer. So when you look at the, the total bill for a, a procedure that you get in the hospital, uh, you'll find the, the overall total is about comparable anyway. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot more convenient and comfortable, not only for the, for the pet owner, but for the, um, for the animal. And, you know, things like kennel cough and other things you can acquire being in, in, in a hospital with other animals, obviously from a health standpoint, too. Um, for these wellness visits, you know, essentially primary care physician type visits, it's uh, often a lot better to just have it done in the comfort of the animal's home. How about, like, I mean, terrible to think about, but, but reality is, how about putting putting animals down? Do you guys do that, too? Yep, that's, we do that right in the home. That's actually a, 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 a big percentage of our business. Um Euthanasia, I think we probably do, you know, three or four a week in some cases. And we'll, from, from that standpoint, we'll handle it as a concierge service. So we'll, we'll coordinate everything related to the removal of the animal and uh, working with the cremation companies and delivering the ashes. And, you know, we do, you know, get, you know, uh, sympathy cards and really just, just try to make it as uh, emotionally uh, easy on the pet parents as we possibly can. I can't, I mean, we, we have a dog, we have the last two years we've had a dog and that dog is like, you know, way higher, way higher, uh, um, way, way, way more love than me in my house. Right. So, I mean, I can't even imagine what God forbid when the day comes, but, um, that to me, so I was having this, this is crazy. I'm sorry uh, this to, to, to digress like this, but the guy that cuts my hair, my barber is a you know, good guy, old, old school Italian guy, you know, cause I went to the vet and like the. I get my dog put down. They want 850 bucks. I'm mm-hmm. like, he's like, it's too much money. I can't do it. I can't afford it. So I just had to do it myself. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's not good. I'm like, Dude, what you, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't ask him like what happened. Yeah. Like, you know, he goes, yeah. ah, I, you know, you know, I, I had to take care of myself. Just take care of oh myself. My God. Yeah. You don't want to know how he did that. I, mean, I, I was I, like, imagine like a pillow over the head. <laughs> I mean, what, 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 <laughs> I don't know, man, but that's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Yeah, no, it's not good. We, we, we do it. Um, obviously, we, we uh, give, give the animal a sedative, and then it's, it's essentially kind of an overdose of uh, anesthesia that, that slowly the, the animal goes to sleep. It's very humane, and uh, we're there with the, with the pet parents to, to control them. It's, it's just a – listen, I, I wish I had done – I lost uh, one, one of my animals two years ago. Um, my dog 
named Pete, and uh, I had to bring him to the hospital to get it done. And, and you know, have, seeing your animal laying on, on a metal um, table, and you know, I know I know the veterinarians care, but they don't have time in the hospital often to spend time and show that they care. So you almost feel like it's a cop cop. So what, what is it, I mean, God, just curious. So what does it cost? Like if I have to have my dog put down, you're going to come with my like MDS pet care. What's my yeah. all in to, to be I able mean, to I, make this? So it does vary, it does vary a little bit by, by the size of the animal because of, you know, the, the drugs that are necessary, but I can, I can tell you, I, I did a ride along with my vet uh, last Monday and we had to put a cat down. Um, and I think the overall ticket was about $350 all, all included. So it varies. I mean, you're gonna, you're not going to get upwards. Seven fifty sounds high to me. I mean, I haven't. Seen He's at eight fifty. Eight fifty. Eight fifty sounds yeah. higher. Yeah. So, I would say anywhere from three hundred to six hundred, six fifty. Well, let's get onto a happier subject. I, I don't want to think yeah. about it. But you know, yeah. one thing I've always been impressed by you. You have been in a lot of different businesses. Usually yeah. as like a, either a sole proprietor or an entrepreneurial venture. I mean, you like you got that sort of entrepreneurial bug, like you like yeah. whether it's running a nonprofit or, you know, yeah. growing, growing something to, like you are all in on all these different things. So what are some I, I, you lived in Brazil? You're doing some import export yeah. stuff from Brazil. You ran yeah, you ran the full the flag foundation, the, the yeah. children of fallen patriots foundation, yeah. the, the, the golden Knights hockey foundation. The Warrior Project. Um, well, you know, the Warrior for, Project. Yeah, we, we, I want to talk a lot about that one too. So, yeah. Yeah. no, I just, I mean, for me, I, I, I graduated West Point, uh, computer science degree, like you, and um, uh, medically discharged from the military, went right back to school, University of Texas, and I got into technology. So I got my MBA in technology, and you know, that was obviously right around the time of the dot com boom and you know, Y2K scare and all that kind of stuff. So I, I was uh, focused mostly on data, um, and from you know, Luke. From living in Boston, working for PricewaterhouseCoopers at the time, Coopers and Librand, to jump into telecom uh, startups, to, to joining Veritas Software, and doing um, you know data data redundancy and all that kind of stuff, I got burned out with software. Uh, around 2003, started thinking I could do other things on my own. So that's really the first time I jumped into kind of let me start my own company that provides services, software services and delivery. Uh, for small companies and it was mostly centered around e-commerce i did that for about five years um and really i was enjoying it and i, I, I met up with a classmate of ours uh, corby marshall who uh needed a website and, and ironically the website that i built for corby and i just thought about this the other day it was 2007 and it was around the uh, swine flu it was, it was a website to, to sell masks and other equipment necessary to prevent because he was, he was, he had a deal where he's importing these things from all, of all places, China. <laughs> and so I had happened to be living in Brazil at the time. Um, and we got to talking, he had another deal going with Home Depot where they were importing from China, um, granite countertops and uh, vanities from, for, for the Home Depot made out of uh, Brazilian granite and China had run out of their supply of granite. He was looking for somebody in Brazil to help set up a distribution channel. And I just, I pivoted. I mean, in 2007, halfway through the year, uh, I, I started uh, setting up this distribution channel for the Home Depot. We got a bunch of product on the water, uh, moved my family from, at the time I was living in New Jersey, down to Jacksonville, Florida, to receive all these containers. That was in July of 2008. And, uh, and then the economy crashed and Home Depot canceled the order. So mm. we had to send all that stuff back down to Brazil and 
and uh, sell it on the local market. And, and I found myself in Jacksonville looking for something to to um, to do for a living. So and just into- just take a second, just to sort of like again, like this is like a tough time for you, right? Cause like, like, like basically like this thing didn't work out. There's a lot of money involved. You got like, you're on the, you're, you're on the, you're basically not destitute, but you're like, man, I, I'm 2008. I gotta, I gotta reboot what I'm doing. Right. That's basically. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And yeah. you know, it was, uh, cause you know, in the software industry, we, you know, we were, we were doing relatively well with uh, stock options and, you know, 401k and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it wasn't that I, this was my, you know, one big play to, to make a ton of money, but I certainly put enough money into establishing things down in Brazil that when it didn't happen, when it did fail, um, I found myself in Jacksonville with a five-year-old daughter and a one-and-a-half-year-old son living in, in, in a rented place that my buddy owned. He wanted to get, get me out of there, and I had to find a job. And it was always, I'm going to find a job until I find my next thing. And I called this guy up, Adam Silva, class of 93 West Point, he was one of my and, yearlings, Adam Silva. Yeah, one yeah, of my yearlings. Yeah, solid dude, and he was he he was an HR guy <laughs> at Wounded Warrior Project. And um, I was like, "Hey, Adam, you know, I met him at Starbucks." And he goes, well, "You know, what do you need?" I said, "You know, I'm, I'm here in Jacksonville. I don't know anyone. Uh, I got a background in technology. I need a job. Uh, does Wounded Warrior Project have anything?" I volunteered a little bit when I was living up in New York. And he goes, let me uh, let me talk to the founder, John Melia, and talk to the founder. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I went into a meeting, sat down with Melia. He says, I need someone to build an online store and help me kind of organize technology a little bit. I said, okay. He goes, you know, he goes, what do you need to make? And I literally gave him my bare bones. Here's what I need to make to survive. And he said, can you take five thousand less? And I said, done. <laughs> so that was that was the beginning of my foray into fifteen years of nonprofit work focused on military. So how long were you there at Wounded Warrior Project? Um, I was there five years. So I started out um, building online store, which took, you know, less than, I'd say less than three months. And, and when I finished there, I was, I was running the IT department. In between, I'd done a lot of uh, online fundraising and infrastructure for their direct response television program, all those commercials that you saw, in the long-form commercials. I built the infrastructure behind that to basically process the donations and, and, you know, track revenue and that sort of thing. How big were they back then? I'm, I'm trying to, I'm pulling up their 990, trying to figure out how big they are now. I know they, they had a big fall from grace after you left, but, uh, yeah. that, so I mean, when I, when I joined there, I think I was probably a 30th employee. Um, they were already doing through direct mail alone upwards of 12 to 15 million in revenue, mm-hmm. which was big to me back then. When I left there, um, they're doing, I want to say 225 million in revenue. So in it went from 12 million to 225 million during your five years. I mean, that, that's, that's enormous. I mean, that's crazy growth for anything like for yeah. profit, but for a nonprofit, that's, in, that's unbelievable. Yeah. And it's all, so direct, direct mail was always their, their kind of cash cow, so to speak. And they took a gamble back in 2009 and said, okay, we have to invest some of our money into, um, direct response television. Um, you know, I remember the internal sell on that. I, I remember everything we had to do to switch over systems to be able to support that. And it was a good amount of money spent. But I think, I, I can't remember the number, but in the first year when they flipped the switch and turned on the television commercials, I think they were overly surprised by how much money they raised to TV across the country. And that number continued to grow. And even today, if you, I, I have a friend who still works over there and runs direct response. 
I'd say about 75% of the revenue that comes into Wounded Warrior Processing even today is, is as a result of direct response television and direct response. Yeah, I got their I got the I got their nine ninety up right now. So they did in twenty eighteen they did two hundred forty six million of contributions. Mm-hmm. Two forty six. But I think that they were as high, they were as high as eight hundred at one point. Yeah, there was there was yeah, they when when the uh when the quote unquote scandal hit, I think that they lost about fifty percent of their incoming revenue, or mm-hmm. maybe even more than that. And that's when they hired Mike Lennington, the West Pointer, to kind of uh galvanize the team, you know, you know, get rid of some people that weren't uh weren't in their ways and kind of reorganize around uh, growth, ethics, and all the things that we were hoping to see from Wounded Warrior Project back in bad years. Yeah, I'm just pulling up uh, their 990 from 2014. They did 312 million in 2013. Let's see, 20, 2015. Yeah, I think everything kind of happened in 15, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that was the height of it. I know that was that was a crazy time. Uh, 372 yeah. million. I guess 800 million is not the right number. Um, so they had eight, uh, 300 million basically. So now they're back down. Now they're back up to 264 after they probably went through that dip. And General Lennington yeah. took over. I met him a couple times. But you know what was interesting because I I worked in nonprofit. I continue to work in nonprofit. But at that time, I was just kind of getting started. And you know the, the sort of meltdown, the complete like loss of faith in the entire VSO yeah. space was driven by that. So yeah. not only did it hurt a lot of veteran service organizations that were recipients of their funds, it also just hurt the entire mm-hmm. sector. And I don't think it's ever quite recovered. I mean, there's still just a lack of no. credibility in that space. No, I mean, I, I can speak um, firsthand on that. After I left Wounded Warrior Project, I joined Class 88 guy, uh, David Kim, uh, at Children of Fall Patriots Foundation. They were probably doing maybe maybe $2 million in revenue when I, when I joined there in 2013. But it was always about convincing people Proving to people, reassuring people that the money being spent was going to the program, not to overhead. And you know that that argument even today. Um, I you know I left uh, David Kim to go help start Pull the Flag Foundation with a bunch of class of '67 West Pointers. And even then, you know we, we're, we would struggle. A lot of those guys were on the board of USA A, and they they had to fight that battle, convince them and show them that Bill Foley was underwriting. Um, the expenses so that 100% of the dollars raised would go directly into scholarships for gold star families. So I don't think I don't think that conversation will ever go away completely, and it shouldn't. I think donors are a lot more aware now than they were back in the day, especially donors in Middle America that are giving you know $19 or $25. It's easy not to worry about that. You don't think about the fact that uh, hey, I need to check the Charity Navigator, I need to. Uh, get my acknowledgement so I can write something off at the end of the year. A donor who's given $10,000 may, may think differently, but I think there's a, a lot more educated uh, middle, middle America donor today because of the issues with Wounded Warrior Project. So maybe we should just put a little pause and talk about Wounded Warrior Project and, and nonprofit and speak one second about what the purpose of this podcast is, a little public service announcement. So this, this, the, the genesis of this podcast was really because I am our class giving officer for class of 91 wanted to create more awareness around our class gift, which is to endow a chair at the Cyber Institute. Uh, we are uh, most of the way there in terms of raising our, our committed capital of $1.5 million. But the goal that I have set for us, or that we have set as, a, as a, um, the gift committee has set, is to get to 91% participation rate because that's, that would really put us up there as the most generous class in Academy history. And um, in terms of the amount of money that goes towards the actual – uh, donor gift versus how much goes to AOG. AOG's VIG is about 12%. Uh, 
uh, total uh, of all the money that that comes in. And so, you know, John, you know, and I know that that's actually, you know, a pretty lean uh, mm-hmm. uh, amount that they take uh, given all the operations and all that they run. And so, um, you know, that is a good use of your dollars is to basically donate money to our class gift. And so I ask that, uh, you know, people use this podcast as a way to stay better connected to each other, lift each other up in terms of um, when they're going through trials and tribulations. Um, also to remember our fallen classmates uh, and also draw attention to that class gift. So, um, so that's a little public service announcement. And so John, did you get recruited uh, to take that job over at uh, the um, uh, the fold the flag? I mean, how did you get connected to to Bill Foley to have him? I mean, yeah, I was I, so I was I was running um, Children of Fallen Patriots Foundation in, in Jacksonville Beach, um, and I'd been there nearly three years. Um, Foley went to a couple of his classmates and said he wanted to start a, a nonprofit to give back to, you know, the families of, of today's conflicts in memory of their fallen classmates. And uh, one of his classmates, Fred Shrimp, looked me up and found me through, through the West Point Network as somebody that was doing exactly what they were hoping to do. So he sent people in um, to train with my, my folks on the program side to learn scholarships. And during that whole process, they, they kind of discovered that a bunch of 70-year-old uh, old grads are, are not going to want to overlook or oversee um, a scholarship program, so why not hire a younger old grad to, to help stand things up? So that's really how it got started. And, um, and the purpose there, though, what you guys also, I think, were focused on was it goes beyond just scholarships, right? It's there's it's everything. It's it's healthcare, it's daycare, it's you know having yep. money for a kid to you know join yep. Boy Scouts or something, right? So <laughs> like it wasn't just only earmarked for college tuitions, which is what was Children of Fallen Patriots was was mm-hmm. specifically around around educational yep. scholarships. Your point was if we don't get a kid through high school, they're not going to go to college, right? So you got to yeah, basically that's, that's, have the money for that middle part. Yeah, that, that's one of the biggest distinguishing points with well, the Flag Foundation. And they gave me the opportunity to kind of define that mission more broadly in that respect. Um, I've got frustrated a lot with Children of Fallen Patriots, not because of the organization, but because we were seeing a lot of kids that weren't making it to college and weren't even opting for trade school. Um, They're going, you know, going to the military, and, you know, God bless them for, for serving our country and all that good stuff. But a lot of these younger kids are getting lost in the shuffle early on. So, Hold uh, the flag is designed to essentially support the journey to college, and that that means not just supporting the kid through activities, the after-school programs, the summer camps, and things like that, but also the spouse and enabling the spouse to be able to move away from doing two or three jobs to make ends meet and get their own degree and, and be able to start a career and and uh, be able to support those families. So that that's been the spirit of Hold the Flag Foundation. It's a great organization. I, I wish I had the time and and uh, the ability to stay there even today, but always be a, a good advocate and an ambassador. Um, they're doing great work. They're going to be expanding that great work uh, through some of the new leadership that they brought in. And um, I think they're going to they're going to be, be a, an organization that will do more than just scholarships over time as well. So when you think of the families that you've helped and the people along the way that you've met, what's the what's give me some of the more poignant memories that you have from from that service that you've had. So I think, I mean, one of the, one of the biggest ones for me um, was uh, when I first started with Hold the Flag Foundation, I was still in Jacksonville, Florida, and there was a, a woman named Amanda Moore 
who had a daughter and a son, a young son, who was struggling a lot with anger issues and night terrors. Um, her story always stuck, stuck out because I remember it was frustrating to hear um, the way that they got the news that, that their, that their uh, father died. Uh, it was basically a couple of guys who were trying to rush to get off duty for a long weekend. Oh, and no way. They came in the middle of the night, knocked on the door, scared the kids. The, the, the young boy, you know, woke up from sleep, was almost shocked by the, by the delivery of the news. And um, basically it was, here's, here's what happened. Here's who you got to call and let's get it done that way. And then, they, you know, essentially from, from her, from what she explained to me, who went off on leave and left her kind of holding up these papers trying to figure out who to talk to the next Monday morning or Tuesday morning. Um, meanwhile, the son never, never recovered emotionally or mentally from that. And, and she'd been struggling to even keep him in school, let alone uh, not acting out in school. So Boulder Flag Foundation reached, reached in. They were down in Jupiter, Florida, and we were able to uh, not only help fund, but also help find a school that catered specifically to his needs. And and, his, and their daughter uh, ended up driving and going to the TCU in in, um, in um, Texas, and he's now thriving, from what I hear, and doing a great job in, in school. And you know, those those types of stories for me, they're easily those people can easily be lost. And ignored or overlooked and, and I think that that's what I loved and it was one of my proudest stories is to be able to kind of lift that family through what seemed to me to be nothing which was help them find a, a school and help them pay for that education and also help them the mother you know transport the, the child to and from school because that that school is a little bit further away than she could handle on her own did you ever listen to General Kelly tell the story about how he was notified about his son passing away no I did not yeah, so I mean, there was this point in time where you know there was he he just came out with it and told the story about how you know General Dunford was the one that was his notification officer was his was his you know fellow general who met met with him and told him about it. But then he went into talking about how we notify the families of of fallen patriots, and you know I guess in an ideal world, what he described was you know these you know the two people go out in a in a un, kind of un, nondescript car they sit outside they wait for the light to come on for the fir- the first light of the day they they look they want to be the they want to be there right in the morning mm-hmm. um they're not going to wake somebody up in the middle of the night in theory not, unlike your story mm-hmm. and then they stay with the family until the family says that they can be left alone right so yeah. they're supposed to like th- those guys are and gals are supposed to be there for like for for two or three days, like at their beck and call, right. and <clears throat> obviously that didn't happen. That's tragic to hear. What what branch yeah. was was this guy? Uh, he was Navy. He was a he was special ops, special special forces. So, and you know he, he he did some great things for our country too. And it really is it, it is uh, sad to hear. But I, what I do know now is you know dealing with um, Army uh, Survivor Outreach Services and some of the new programs that have kind of stepped up to do better better work in the transition, even after that period of time where uh, the take officer you know, kind of does what they need to do for the transition. Um, there's some groups out there and there's some resources out there that, you know, so I, I, I feel like we're in a good place in serving our, our Gold Star families. Um, and I, I don't think it's going to get better. I think the, the country is aware and I think the government is aware and, you know, the Department of Defense is very aware of what needs to happen with these spouses and children. Well, 
you know, John, I told you the time was going to go by so fast. We are like 45 minutes into this podcast. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to West Point or to the Army or anything. We're talking about the here and now. So let, let, yeah. let's do this if we could. Let's let's pivot. Let's go all the way back, 1985, 86, whenever you decided to go to West Point. You're living in New Jersey, going to St. Peter's Prep. Uh, what 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 drew you to uh, a life of service uh, through through the, the uh, you know wanting to go to the army and, and serve our serve our country? Well, I think so. So for me, you know, the the, the first my first uh, taste of West Point was through West Point football games, and my dad used to take me up there quite a bit. And he had some guys that you know were military guys and guys that were you know tied to local and state congress and stuff like that. And we just go up and tailgate and have a good time. I didn't think anything of it. In fact, back then, this is when I was a freshman, sophomore in high school. I really didn't even understand fully what, what the plebes were. I thought they may be mail messengers that were just running around delivering packages. And I didn't even understand the structure of the school, let alone have an appreciation for the military. But I did love West Point. I did love the spirit um, in the Army games. I loved the tailgating, you know, and just, just enjoyed going up there. And it became kind of part of my early high school life. So when my dad, in my, I think, late sophomore, junior year, uh, urged me to think about applying to West Point uh, under that early action plan. Um, I did, and, and you know, he had a friend, uh, Congressman Rowe, uh, actually a friend of Congressman Rowe, who's my, who's my uh, congressional guy. Um, I got a nomination through him, but I'd also sat with Bradley, uh, Senator Bradley and Senator Lautenberg, completely botched the Bradley interview. They started talking about Iran, Contra Affair type things, and I wasn't prepared. But uh, Lautenberg gave me, ultimately gave me a nomination. So when I got into West Point early, uh, I didn't even think about going anywhere else. Um, I wasn't really gung-ho, hey, I'm going to serve my country and, and you know, I want to be, you know, one of your military at that time in my life. But, you know, th- throughout my progression into West Point and even into the Army, obviously, we, you know, we, we all experienced this uh, camaraderie and, and sense, of, sense of patriotism and you know, love for country and all that kind of stuff. So that built um, during my journey and it was something I was very proud to be a part of. Uh, all the time. So were you recruited to play hockey there or did, or did you walk onto the team? No, I walked, I walked on to JV essentially and was happy, happy to be on core squad table and get, get some extra food. So mm-hmm. even if I didn't ever play, I knew if I could sit there, I'd be happy. <laughs> right. So, so getting getting in getting in playing hockey was not was not necessarily a, a key part of what you're looking to do. That was just an add on. That was just me trying to trying to uh, trying to get over trying to yeah. <laughs> you trying to get yeah. over on tables, right? <laughs> I tried out, tried out for hockey, golf, and lacrosse, and, and uh, made made enough of made the hockey team enough to to, to get over for for the I tried out for football. I, I I always say my my people ask me like you know. Did you play football at West Point? I said, Yeah, I, I actually would have played there if, if I was if I was good enough. Yeah, yeah, that's you know kind of how I feel. That's, yeah. I, mean, I, I, I wouldn't play if I was good enough. Race, Let's put it that way. But I, I love hockey, and obviously it circled back around, and you know because of Bill Foley and the Golden Knights, my kids play. So I'm proud to be out there with him. You know, speak. Did you get a chance to, to uh, interact at all with our classmate uh, Paul Haggerty? I, I did at West Point, uh, not not much uh, in our Ewing. I mean, he was he was a guy that um, I remember alongside some of the other uh, some of the other plebe uh, baby guys. I mean, he was a he was a varsity guy, um, good player. Um, probably made fun of me more than anything else, but it was always in good fun. You know, just been, you know, he, he's on the bus and stuff like that. He was probably part of that. But I didn't I didn't really get a lot of 
you know, friend, friendship time with him. It was always based on hockey. Right. And there's some other some other uh, real characters on the hockey team too that I know, like Brooks Creation, Brad Hamaker. Yeah. Yeah, but, oh yeah, yeah. is still a character. Yeah, you know, yeah, and Hammerker's—he's a character and a half. That guy's that guy's something else. I don't else. see much of him. I mean, he's—he's—I think he's heavy into coaching hockey up in uh, New England these days. Isn't he? I think his son's playing for RIT. I saw that because my son's looking to go to RIT potentially. Um, oh, nice. My my junior in high school, so I looked at RIT and I see his son's like a big, a big uh, you know stellar athlete. And you know another stellar athlete, a uh, Silva's kid, is a st- stellar athlete on the lacrosse team. Adam Silva's kid. Yeah, and- I mean, I remember I was I was around when when Jen and Adam were kind of grooming him. I mean, one thing about Adam Silva, I always I always say that he was one of the best kind of coach leaders that you'll find in sports because he he dedicated everything he had not only to his own kids. I mean, he obviously he's hard on his own kids, but what he did to, to draw out the the sport of lacrosse in, in Florida and uh, provide mentorship and leadership to some of these kids who are coming out of Florida is is uh, unparalleled. I mean, I, I was always proud to be to be a friend of his because I could watch him um, you know, develop these kids out in, in a state that, you know, I think was still fledgling when it came to lacrosse. So what was your, um, what was your plebe, your plebe summer like? Like uh, who was your roommate? Like what was that? Any, any like particular memories from our day other than Schleck face, my Schleck face stuff yeah. with, with, with yeah. uh, F1 and anything else that, that. Well, I mean, from our day, not specifically, except that I was completely confused the entire day. I'm sure everybody was. But I, my roommate was, um, we were over in MacArthur Barracks. My roommate at the time was um, Mike uh, Novak, nickname Spike Noslack. He, and, uh, he uh, was, uh, I think he was, he was regimental commander for 3rd Regiment, right? Yeah, yeah. I he, remember he, that guy was, we called him Pipes, right? Because he had like those yeah. massive arms. He's like, just like a, he was like a machine. I, I don't know how he got it, but he had a clicker board in our room during Beast Barracks and literally doing push up Every time I came in from being hazed or delivering laundry or just trying to find some respite, he was there doing push-ups because he, he wanted to max out all the time on the, on the APF team. He was a star mm-hmm. man too, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you had a... And, and he had the wreath as well. Yeah, I think. So, and also you get And Sam Yanks, who's another high-achieving guy there in your company, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, he and I, he was a computer science guy, and I, I was, he and I were friends up until he got that brigade staff, and then he kind of became a snob. And I started to get to the room and hang out, and I never could find my way into that uh, hall. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's working his ass off right now, Sam Yanks, yeah. trying, trying to protect the world from this uh, coronavirus. Yeah, I'm sure. But he, yeah, so, so Beast Barracks was, um, you know, a time where I wasn't sure I wanted to be at what I was going uh, and um, I'd, I'd left a girlfriend back home, and you know, I was close to my mom. My mom was only 45 minutes from West Point. I just remember the, the other main story that or the thought or memory I have is when I wrote a really sad, you know, scared son letter to my mother saying, I want to go home, pick me up, you know, when, when can you come see me? I, you know, I really want you to visit. And then I, I wrote a letter to my, my girlfriend saying how much I missed her and I couldn't wait to be with her, and you know hang out and mess around and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I accidentally swapped the letters. And not my a, mom got not a good thing to do. Now, so your mom got like a, got like a, like what, what they call it? Like variations, yeah. like, uh, kind of like, like a, soft porn, accurate. like a soft porn yeah. letter basically yeah. to your mom. That's, that's always good. And then, and then my, uh, my, my girlfriend realized that I was just a big baby and, and uh, broke up with me before you know, these parents was over. So it's a disaster, <laughs> but it's, it's all for the better. 
you know, look, my look, look, look at me now, Ma. Just reminds me, my 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 knucklehead son. He might he's twenty one years old now, but back in high school, he had like we had this Apple like uh, family thing or something. So he's mm-hmm. like sex texting his girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> on, his, on his phone, and it's coming up on my wife's um, MacBook, right? And I'm seeing like oh this. God. I'm seeing this like stream coming up. I'm like, oh my god, buddy, you are an idiot. You are you're lucky that I saw this, right? And so. I like erased the shit and, and I said, I, I had a talk with him. I said, not only, not only should you not be saying this shit to anybody, like, you know, <laughs> putting it in writing like that, it's yeah. on mom's computer. What are you going to do yeah. about that? And so he ended up having to decouple everything. Now everything's like locked down, but what an idiot. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, so it's, things have come along at West Point since the days of r- rushing to our mailbox for our Victoria's Secret catalog. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh my God! So, so Mike Novak was. So, who was your roommate? Like, who, who were? Who were, uh, Give me some of the characters from F three. Like during. during well, the... I mean, o- O'Brien was one of my roommates uh, for the first semester plebe year, um, and then I had. Um, I don't know if you knew um, Mike Ritchie. Mm-hmm. Yep. A couple other guys that, that ended up dropping out. Uh, Chuck Thornton and Brandon McSween were my roommates, and then later it was it was people like Ben Griner. Mm-hmm. Uh, wrestler and, and uh, John Slater. Um, How about and, Johnny uh, Drohan? Drohan was never my roommate. Sean Kelly was my roommate, but but Drohan was just kind of my. He he became my de facto mentor. He, he was he was exactly two years older than me, so we were both born on January thirteenth, and um, happened happened to discover that inside the the gas tent. Uh, was it Lake Frederick? Plebeer. Yeah, plebe year, and he was standing by me, and you know how they ask you date of birth, your name, and social security number, and he read his, and and I, I realized right there we had the same birthday, but instead of saying my name, date of birth, and social, I just repeated his, and and from that point forward, he, he just thought I was an idiot, and he realized he needed to guide me along. So we became really good friends. He and I done some things together over the years, you know, in my entrepreneurial stuff, and. Um, he's doing great. I, every time I have a chance to see him in Boston, I do. He's kind of those, one of those friends that the minute you see him, it's just it's like old days. So. so he lives in Boston? Yeah, he lives, uh, I think, uh, South Shore somewhere. Um, he runs he's, he runs a company called Main Effort. Uh, it's a financial services. I think he's a financial advisor, wealth advisor type. And um, he's married to his, basically the, the, the girl that he dated all throughout West Point. She's a, she's a doctor. You know, I think they've got two, maybe three daughters. Uh, they're all doing everything's fine. I mean, he's, he's he's living a good life, but he's never really left the New England area and, and he's established himself well out there. That's cool. So uh, you majored in computer science. Uh, was Charlie Costanza in your? Was he in your company too? Yeah, yeah he's a computer guy. science guy too. Had a, like a mini reunion, um, and you know, obviously, what he went through with his. Uh, he, he had some uh, major uh, major yeah he had like a brain tumor a, a, a yeah. benign brain tumor but it was like in the base of his head or something right they do some yeah, massive so, so like he, he, i'll tell you he's one of the one of the more badass guys from my company that i didn't expect to be badass. he's he's just a solid leader and well respected he's, he's what you call a soldier's leader and you know I got I got a chance to catch him up to him quite a bit, and I, I think he's moving and progressing through the ranks, and and you know probably, probably heading up our, our class in a lot of ways in terms of next rank, and just just a guy that I wish I'd gotten to know more over the years after West Point. We kind of lost touch for a while. It was good to catch up to him. 
Well, it's tough. To, it's tough to stay in touch with guys that are like moving, moving on onward and upward, all these different places like him. But I think he's currently a one star. He's in charge of. He, I know he was in charge of like Tradoc uh, training or something. I was talking to Moose George, um, who called me last weekend. By the way, Moose George. I felt like I was actually like an official army business because he <laughs> called. Me. He's in the middle of doing some kind of budget thing, probably related to coronavirus or something. And he's like, he calls me like out of the blue. He's like, Jamie, it's Moose. Do you have Chuck Pochet's cell phone number? Because Chuck Pochet is another company company made of mine who's still mm-hmm. on active duty. That was he submitted something in the Army budget, and Moose had questions, but Moose had no way to get in touch with him on a weekend. Wanted to get his cell phone number, and I felt like hey, here I am, like officially patched in, like on like you know the Cipernet or something, ready to yeah. you know like connect to them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we also had uh, Joe Dzinski, who's, who's still serving. Um, in, he's in National Guard or, uh, out in Arizona. He, he's got one star as well, and he was at an army. He does. Yeah. yeah. I, so we completely missed the fact that we have another one star general in in discuss. He's a one star general. I, I believe either he was. I think he's either one star is promotable. I believe he was one star by the Army Navy. Well, um, I have to check that out. Look, look that up. But I, I remember him and Chuck were talking a lot about that and what they were doing next, and you know. Both were looking at uh, new command opportunities and that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm probably 90% sure, I'm, you know, unless I've been drinking too much whiskey. That's I'm possible. Back. That's possible at Army Navy. I'm 90% sure he's one. How many Army Navies have you been back for? I've been, so so I, I think altogether, um, I've probably been to six. And I kind of skipped most of the of the early 2000s because I was bouncing around, you know, uh, South America and doing different things that way, but uh, I've been to the last three, and then I've been to three uh, since West Point, including one. I think the second time we lost in that big loss. So. Right. So, um, what's give me some of your more poignant memories from West Point? Like, what, what if you look back? If you could relive, if you could relive fifteen minutes right now of something that you did when you were a cadet, what would it be? Um, well, I mean, 15, the first 15 minutes of the three-day weekend that I took with John Dohan, a bunch of guys from F3 and D1, D1 or D2, where we went down to Terrytown and, and had a party and trashed the place, and I got 100 hours on the area right away with Commandant. Uh, what, what, why did you get 100 hours? For underage drinking or something? We left post without authorization. It was, uh, we were yearlings. We left post without authorization during Wing, week, wing Weekend. Crashed the place. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. During, during ring, not our first year. It was a yearling year. No, you it was said. during their ring weekend. We I got gotcha. you. And you yeah. got, you guys got hammered. You trashed the place. And you got a hundred hours for that. Yeah, we went. To, I remember. We were, well, I think I no. I got eighty-eight hours with the commandant, and then I got another twelve um, um, for something else I did. So I, I, I made century as a yearling. Um, as a yearling, how many did you have total? How many years? Uh, how many yeah, uh, hours? I want to say it's like 125 or 126 hours. Wow, that's impressive. That's probably like, you know, top, top 10, 15% of our class in terms of hours. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I'm proud of it. But what I can say is I didn't get in trouble a lot. I just had a really one big doozy to, to kind of uh, put, put, launch me towards 100 quick. So that was your yearling year. So when did you, when did you get the slug? I got the slug. Um, it had to be late September of that year. And so... I was, I was walking through, I didn't go to army Navy that year. I didn't go to Thanksgiving. Um, I, I did a lot, I did a lot of, um, you know, in, in room sitting tours and, um, got done with everything. I think by, I want to say like early February or something like that. 
So it was a, it was a rough time for me. I wonder. I mean, when you're sitting now, when you're sitting tours, mm-hmm. you just fire up network, uh, Netflix, or or Amazon Video or something. You, I mean, you could pass yeah. the time. I, they probably don't let you do that now. I have to imagine yeah, someone shut I that know, down. I haven't seen a cadet room recently, but I can only imagine I'd get distracted pretty easily. And that was, I mean, when you're sitting with an uh, IBM 287 computer and, and a five and a quarter inch floppy drive, there's not a lot you're going to be getting done to distract you from from sitting a weekend. You know? Yeah. <laughs> And then no one, everyone was at Army, Navy, no one, everyone was home at Thanksgiving. It's just, you know, I'd rather be walking back and forth in, in the central area than, than sitting in my room with nothing to do. There's got to be some insanity going on right now with this coronavirus at West Point. I mean, those guys are off till, uh, they were on spring break and they said, take another, take another 10 days of spring break. So mm-hmm. my nephew's a, my, ne- my nephew's a cow. He plays for the baseball team. And they're mm-hmm. devastated because their seasons, their seasons basically over like three games into the season. So these firsties yeah. that were like living their whole life for their first year NCAA try to do you know a, a three peat on a Patriot League championship, um, they're done. They're done. Yeah. You know, and imagine. these guys they're all down in Florida. They're trying to figure out what to do because they're down in Florida playing playing somebody down in Florida, and they just said, okay, well we're just going to stay here for three weeks. I I gotta believe it's it's got to be like you know mayhem because they're just uh, you know the army baseball team season's canceled and they're in florida for three weeks so what, what no, no no uh academics to worry about right no now. no i mean it's it's got to be mayhem but was it down in miami is that is that where the uh, results were or, or the, i don't know where he is i don't know where he is but but hold on he let's see what he see what he texted me he told me this the name i'll, I'll, I'll say something here but yeah he's uh that sucks for him <laughs> So I, I can figure out how to distract myself for three weeks in Florida. Yeah, yeah I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's going to do, I'm sure he's going to be fine. Young, young Harry. So they're in Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale uh, of all places. This kid, this kid, I, I mean, I, by the way, this is, this is a confidential podcast, so we should not like, you know, I'm not going to give the kid's name, although, although the, the powers that be, they, they know him, but, um, <laughs> He he's living on the edge. This this kid is living on the edge. I, hopefully he'll make it through. He's a baseball player. He parties his ass off. But two years ago for Army Navy, so it was either his plebe year or his yearling year. My my cousin, who's like, kind of like a brother to me, like he's, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's Saturday morning of Army Navy game, and and so the Army game, the Army Navy game is in Philadelphia, and this kid lives. They live. My cousin lives outside of Mar- outside of Washington D.C. in Maryland, one of the suburbs of so about two and a half hours from from Philly. So it's like five o'clock in the morning. He's walking the dog, and he sees a car pull up to his house, and like this shadow, like kind of spill out of the car, and it's mm-hmm. my nephew, right? My nephew, who's drunker than a moose, comes out, and my my cousin's like, "What the hell are you doing home?" And Harry's like. Looking around, he's like, I, I don't know, I just, I guess I, I, he got an Uber and just hit okay. home from Philadelphia. He's drunk in Philadelphia, hits home, goes all the way home to freaking Maryland. My, oh my, my, my cousin and his wife have to throw him in the car and race him up to Philly to get there in time for March on. His friends are bringing his uniform. He gets changed in a, in a portage on and marches mm-hmm. on and, and doesn't get busted, but. Yeah, that that's, that, that's living on the edge. For that sure. kid, that kid is living on the edge. Yeah, he's having a good time though. He's having a good time. He's doing West Point yeah. the right way. I mean, in terms of like 
not taking it too seriously. But also, I think he's going to be a great officer. I should say that he's he's a yeah. he's a he's a leader through and through. Yeah, and he probably has some entrepreneurial spirit too. Uh, yeah, get out there and do something bigger for the world once he's done. I yeah. think so. I think so. Very much could be the case. <laughs> so who else? Li- who lived on the edge besides you getting 100 hours? Who were some of the F3 like characters that like made shit happen? I mean, it, it, we. Were, I guess I would say I wouldn't say Drohan. Drohan always got him. It was found himself in the middle of some fun things, and I, he was a bad influence on me. But I don't think he was. I don't think he pushed the envelope in terms of like taking risks at that level. Most of the guys who were living on the edge were the guys that we lost early. Um, you know, the ones who dropped out or burnt out or whatever. Sean DiMartino and company? Yeah. Yeah, and um, I, I think generally, I think about our my, my classmates. And, and, you know, everyone was pretty squared away. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, in a lot of ways, I probably was one of the – if you ask them, they'd probably point to me. Let's put it that way. And so um, – I always questioned things. I always tried to figure out, you know, what kind of limits I had. And there was never a uncomfortable conformity and, you know, didn't, didn't do anything, you know, unethical, illegal, or uh, with, with uh, bad integrity, but I certainly tried to have my own, uh, you know, flavor of fun. So outside of that, I mean, I look at, I, I think about, you know, the women and, and the men that went through, I all of them squared up. I mean, they're all, they took it seriously. They all, you know, embraced it and, and worked hard, studied hard, you know, trained hard. And, did, and one of the guys that was a sleeper for me, I don't know if you know our classmate, Rich Navarro. Yeah, yeah, uh, Rich Navarro, yeah. Yeah, so he he was a guy that, you know, I, I, I hung out with him quite a bit, uh, Brad McAlee and those guys. And Rich was always kind of laid back, a little bit slow, you know, didn't take things too seriously, didn't really you know, show his passion. And he ends up being one of the most squared away guys in you know, special forces. So, you know, you never really knew what people were, were destined to do until they kind of graduated and started showing their true colors. But work ethic wise, these guys were these guys were focused. So. so then let's let's move forward into the army. So you get commissioned, you went uh, FA, right? Yeah, yeah. I was supposed to go um, 59th Ordnance Brigade, Nuclear Inspections Officer in Babenhausen. And um, I tested into Defense Language Institute. I was going to get out there to learn German uh, out in Monterey. And everything was going well, going through OBC. And then um, George Bush Sr. closed down the nuclear sites in Germany. And I, I got rotated back to Fort Sill. And I had a choice between um, Fort Sill or Fort Polk. There was only, only two stations open to me at the time, um, both MLRS uh, long-range rockets. And I chose Fort Sill because I was there. And um, you know, I had already known some people, and I thought it would be kind of easier, easier time. And so I took a I took a MLS MLRS platoon, and kind of served with the 627th my entire career there until I got injured, um, which was after my only my third year. Um, I just got pinned uh, first lieutenant, and and uh, sustained a back injury in training. We we had done a lot of live fire exercises out in White Sands, and you know, a lot of uh, exercises out in the backwoods of Oklahoma. And, and um, I had a training accident with some, some ammunition that, that uh, bursted one of my uh, discs and kind of laid me up for, for I think about three weeks. And so what what happened? What what what? I mean, what actually you said it with well, ammunition? So you know, so you know the uh, ammunition trucks for the for the rockets. You know, you 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 load them. You basically they get strapped up and you guide them along and you get people around to kind of guide to make sure that they they get loaded properly. And I just I was happen happened to be 
there helping my troops, kind of showing that I was a good, you know, lieutenant and and had my fingers under the lip of the edge and, and the, the strap buckled. And all it did was put a little force in my, my fingers, but it shot through both arms into my lower back. And I just felt the burst and immediate spasms and tightening up and I fell to the ground. And I, you know, I, I've had back injuries before that were mild, you know, from playing sports and things like that, but I'd never felt any kind of pain like I felt that day. And um, yeah, I, like everybody else, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll recover a couple of days, you know, stretch a little bit, I'll be fine. But the doctor saw me and basically said, listen, you know, you're not going to be doing combat arms. Um, there's, there's other options for you in the military. You know, think about finance, think about medical. Think and about that, that also was coincidentally the time where they're doing the big drawdown. So, like, if you yeah. had any kind of a blemish, like, I know a guy who worked for me. He had mm-hmm. exercise-induced asthma. And they're like, mm-hmm. you are out, buddy. You're done. Yeah, like, they wanted to get rid of anybody. And they and they came to me quickly and said, listen, we'll give, we'll give you a good package and you know, we're gonna we're gonna put some money towards um, you know, getting you in, into grad school, whatever you need to do to transition out. Here's here's what we like. I mean, you can you can opt to stay in and try and make your way uh, non combat arms, or you can take this and go. And I, I saw an opportunity, and I took it, and so went from Fort Sill, Oklahoma, right down to Austin, Texas. So what happens? I mean, fast forward a couple of years later, nine eleven kicks off, and so you're mm-hmm. out of the army now, like what six years? Like, what was that like yeah. for you? Like to to to, to be out. Of- yeah, or Bosnia. At the, I mean, like, I, I know for me, I was out. I also left around the same time, you know, I left, before, yeah. you know. And so I just remember feeling this really, um, I don't know what the feeling was. It was just like, I, like I'm i in the wrong place. Like, how did I end up yeah. being a civilian when, when I'm, yeah. I'm supposed to be there? You know, like, it was like yeah. a... No, I, I felt the same, yeah. I, I, felt, I felt guilty in a way because, you know, that was around the time, um, you know, I just... I, I was I was chasing money. I was chased. I, I wanted to be a big wig in the software sector, and I wanted to do. I wanted to make a mark for myself. And you know, I I, I I think I could you know, you know, be this really widely successful person. I had stock options and all these things. And then boom, that hits. I'm living in Boston, um, and I felt left out. I felt it was the first. It was the first time in a while that I actually looked back and remembered. Wait a second, my 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 path started with West Point and started with service to country. And now not only is 9-11 just happened, but I'm seeing people signing up to serve. You know, young guys signing up to serve our country in response to 9-11. And now I'm sitting there, you know, I'm a 31 year old guy going, wait a second, I can't do much. So honestly, I started volunteering uh, soon thereafter when, when Wounded Warrior Project was still a program of uh, disabled, uh, I think it was uh, Paralyzed Vets of, of America in New York City. I started volunteering just to just to help out where I could, not knowing anything about what Wounded Warrior Project was or what it wanted to be, just just to, I guess, minimize the feeling of guilt and make sure I was doing something to, to help the troops come home in 2003, 2004. So, yeah, I mean, it, it hit me hard. I felt I, I was living in Boston by myself, feeling like what, what, I'm in the wrong place. I need to be doing something more. You know, I find this is a common theme across all of our classmates that I talk to. And I think, you know, it really comes, there is something that's embedded in you at West Point about wanting to be part of the action, being part like service to country and that duty shall be done is not just a motto. It's actually something Mm -hmm. that we've all internalized in a a big, big way. Uh, Obviously there's other ways to serve your country than just in the military. And and at this point, most of us, probably 85% Mm -hmm. of us are now out of the army, right? So the 15% that are still, finishing up 30 years or, you know, they're moving on beyond that. But 
you know, we all, I think, have this common link of wanting to be part of the action and wanting to be, mm-hmm. you know, in service. And I'm sure, you know, as our country is about to embark on what I hope is only a three or four week really challenging circumstance, I am quite certain that there will be classmates yeah. anywhere and everywhere across this country that are playing a part. You know, Moni, Moni Fox is actually on this podcast and she's going to be right there on the front line. And mm-hmm. we have a bunch of classmates that are nurses and doctors. Brad Woods is actually going to be on the next podcast if he can do it, oh, April 5th. Yeah. So okay. we'll be hearing from him. I mean, real time. Yeah, I'd love to hear what he has to say a week later. You know? He's an emergency room physician. Wow. So I'm quite certain that he'll have something to, you know, to, to be talking about. And hopefully, hopefully we, you know, as a country, we can, we can band together and do the right thing, flatten this curve, reduce the, you know, the demand on our, on our emergency room infrastructure and kind of push past this. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It needs to happen. There was, there was a good point you made earlier and I've, I've been watching, you know, obviously a lot of the messaging on the news is about exactly what you said. I'm sure we've got a nice perspective that he'll be able to bring to us during, during this podcast. Yeah. I was talking to my daughter just tonight too. She's an EMT and she's like, I, you know, she, like she's going to school. So she's in college, although everybody's been home from college now. So my whole, mm-hmm. both my kids are home from college because they, they, they're back on to virtual learning for the rest of the semester and she's like i want i like i want i want to i know i'm gonna have to ride i'm gonna ride on this thing my wife's like are you kidding me she can't go and i'm like i know what that feels like she she should go she she should be there she's got that sense of service i mean she's been training for it you want you want to get out there once you're training you want to get out there and do something yeah i mean nobody wants that nobody wants that but when it's going on like you're like i gotta be here you know and then the other part of this too that i think about there's so many of our classmates like if you if you've listened to other podcasts like Scotty Halstead and and Mark Beeger and and Kenny Mintz, you know they come right to mind. But also like you know Holly West and Mark West and the, you know career army officers that have uh, really shouldered more than their share fair of the task, as they say in Ranger School. You yeah. can't help but first of all be in awe of them, but also feel a level of 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 guilt or like wanting to do as much as they as they have done. I mean, there's no way yeah. to do it. You can't hand, you can't turn back the hands of time and change it. But yeah. the reality of it is that's that's what that's how you feel. I think. Yeah, and I you know I was able luckily uh, in my stumbling along to nonprofit. I I I felt I filled a lot of that void with uh, my service at Wounded Warrior Project, Palm Patriots, and Golden Flag. So actually, you know, it was during those those years where I became reconnected with most of the West Pointers and classmates and. You know, just really felt like I was back in, you know, and it was it's been it's been satisfying you know, to say the least to, to be able to serve the military in some capacity. So, so, so is there anything that you would want to get like as a do over when you go back? You think about things that, I mean, obviously you probably wouldn't have gotten busted, you know, for a hundred hours yeah. on the area, you know, but like if yeah. you could, if you could go back and redo something either at West Point in the Army or maybe even in your career, what what would you go what what would you what would you want to get a, a redo on? I mean, I don't know West Point, probably nothing. I'm pretty pretty satisfied with with how I how I played West Point and worked through West Point and and you know met a lot of good people. But I think in my career. You know, honestly, it's it's back to what I kind of said earlier, which is, you know, I I got a I got a bug up my ass, and I, I I set out after grad school, and I think I got kind of started drinking the Kool Aid from grad school, set out to just try to dominate, you know, financially, and 
And I look back now and all the things that I've gained personally, you know, and holistically and all that kind of stuff just by serving, I wish I had started this a lot longer, a lot earlier. You know, now we're so many people trying to, trying to chase after a bigger paycheck or a bigger payout. And, you know, those years were just empty. And I wish I had more time in service in some capacity. Well, you've certainly made it up with all all your years of service through Wounded Warrior Project, Children of Fallen Patriots, and Fold the Flag Foundation, and you're continuing to, you know, yeah. lead. I think another thing too, which is like oftentimes overlooked, the ability to be a leader of character in the business world is such a critical thing. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. the, making other people better, helping people produce more, like like the very tip of the spear of value creation starts with the business world. I mean, if if right. if people aren't making things, you know, taking risk, making money, paying taxes, doing all that kind of stuff, nothing else works, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't discount the value of people leading and trying trying to, you know, create value and make money. There's nothing wrong with yeah. that, I think. It and mm-hmm. like it may feel personally more satisfying to be working in a nonprofit or doing something where you see the immediate kind of like good that you could do. But I think, you know, you just got to look a little harder if you're feeling like you're disconnected from, uh, from something, some, some greater purpose. Yeah. Yeah. That's I felt that way. And I think, you know, I look at all the leaders, um, both in the for-profit and nonprofit that i worked for. Um, they all had that, that spirit to, to, um, create something and make something work. And you, like you said, you can't have a successful, you know, software company or nonprofit hockey team. If you don't have uh, a leader that's, that's you know gunning gun for that success, but what has to follow on the tails of that is strong culture. And I think it's not always necessarily that top top line leader that's going to establish culture, but if he surrounds himself with good uh, executives and, and good people who can recognize culture, recognize the importance of integrity and ethics, and really ensure that they're creating a, a model that can kind of filter down to the ranks. You, you can have an organization to be, that, that people are proud of and an organization that does have, a, have some kind of a soul and doing better work for the community and recognizing in their success that they've got a higher purpose and a responsibility. So it can happen, and there's good leaders that understand that, and they just, they're not necessarily the ones that are going to do it, but they hire people because they, they recognize the importance of it. When you think about like challenging experiences of your life or or opportunities, and how do you how do you connect it back to your experiences from West Point? Like, what are the things that you learned at West Point that have served you the most in either times of times of triumph or times of of trial? Well, I think the, the one thing about West Point that I, I I appreciate the most is it forced me to be um, self aware and introspective, and and I think. Because you know, you know how it was. Though. There's there was times where you're sitting alone, or you're studying alone, or you're standing in the ranks and feeling alone. And you know, you develop this awareness for yourself and awareness for both the, the positive points of who you are and the negative points. And it creates inner strength. And I, I I'll tell you that inner strength has got me through some real bad times. And it's also um, uh, that awareness and and kind of inner focus has gotten got me to understand um, what my potential could be. So. You know, West Point for me was about me opening my eyes and understanding who I am and who I can be and what I need to improve. And and throughout my journey in life, I mean, there's there's a lot of times that, that I was at the bottom, you know, trying to figure out how to straighten my way back up. And there's there were times where I was at the top trying to figure out how to knock myself down and and lose some ego. And it really was being able to look inside myself. And that training came from West Point for me. 
Nothing like going to West Point to get your uh, get your ego knocked off, uh, your head knocked yeah. off your block a few times. I, I, I oh, certainly God. had mine more than a few times. Mm-hmm. Probably That's from some of your company good. mates in F3 when they were yelling at the plebe from F1. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I kind of remember trying to figure out who that was. There, there were some guys in Class 88 that um, I probably forgot their names on purpose, but there, there, were, some, there were some evil guys. Well, you were well, mentioning Baker. Baker was one of them, right? Uh, yeah, Eric. Baker, a little guy, right, Baker? No, no, Eric Schranker. Oh, Schranker. No, I don't, I don't know about Schranker. Uh, no, he had my number for for not that year, that whole year. I was I was hiding from him. Let's put it that way. Was Walrath? <laughs> was Walrath in your company? Yeah, Walrath. Yep, he was in there. He's then, a general. Uh, He's a general now. General Walrath. Yeah, and I ran into him. I think two or three Army Navies ago. That was that was that was fun to. Uh, I don't, I don't know that I was memorable enough for him, but uh, he did remember my name, so uh, that was good. <laughs> you know, you're speaking before about like you know, you know, like these personas of like you know, trying to, trying to be like indestructible or whatever. Like so, Mike Novak, you mentioned him. Like that, that guy was an absolute like stellar cadet on on, on yeah. every level, right? Academically, physically, he was just like and he excel- worked really, really, really. He hard worked really him. hard. Like he was constantly doing push-ups. And you you said you never saw that guy in what you would consider like a weak moment, right? That guy was yeah. just always just like hard charging, right? Yeah. So I knew always. this guy too. I think he was he computer science also? Mm, he was I want to say maybe he was a electrical engineer. He was kind of he was tracked near us. I don't know if he was in computer science. Right. He's probably he's probably he's probably electrical engineering with like with a nuclear engineering minor or something or physics like, yeah, something like some, some like, kind of like easy thing like you know yeah with a little Russian on the side <laughs> <laughs> but the guy was indestructible basically he's just like you know so but anyway I um I had the occasion I ran into him in Germany we were um just like crossing paths in an airport uh, about five years after graduation. And, you know, we were both, I was, I was getting ready to get out. So, uh, but I was, I was like on terminal leave and I was doing Mac flights. I was going to Europe. I was doing the whole like Mac flight thing. And I ran into him and I could tell that like he was in a, in a troubled space, you know? And he said, oh, my father is, is dying. I'm going to go home and see my dad. And, and I just, I remember like, you know, here's this like unbelievable, like almost statuesque individual. Right. And. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was, he probably doesn't remember, but I, I hope that I was comforting to some degree to him in that challenging circumstance. I felt my heart just went out to him. Just, I could tell yeah. that it was like a very tough time for him. Yeah. And he was heading home. He's like, yeah, like he's, he's not doing well. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm basically like going home to say goodbye to him, I think is, or he had, maybe he had just passed away. I, I, Whatever it was, I mean, he was really just, you know, I could tell he's broken up. And so I was happy I was able to be there for him a little bit. Maybe, I don't know. He probably doesn't remember yeah, coming into me. I'm sure he had an impact on him. I mean, I, I think any, any, any familiar face with, with some, some good words is, is helpful in those situations. And you're right. He never showed that side of I mean, I knew very little bit about his family and his, his personal life. Was, I just, I admired him because, you know, like Sam Yanks, you know, Sam, a lot of things came easily to him in terms of uh, academics and Mike, you know, he was, he was working, he was studying, he was, he was exercising, he was drilling, he was doing everything he needed to do to um, be as successful as he could be. And I, I don't know what drove him. And I don't know, maybe it was family that drove him. Maybe it was, 
you know, something related to his father that drove him, but he, he never really talked about it. So the fact that he had that exposure to that, I mean, it's just interesting to hear that. I don't know what he's doing now. I haven't been in touch with him in years. I ran into him briefly with John Rohan, and uh, we had a drink, I think, maybe 10 or 15, no, longer than that, 20 years ago in Boston when I was living up there. So he, he lived there doing something. Uh, yeah, he's, he's a portfolio manager at Frontier Capital Management. Is he up in the New England area? He's up in yeah, he? he's up in up in Boston. That's what that's what yeah. LinkedIn says. I'm gonna connect in with him. So, so yeah, it's, it was good to see him again. So John, like I mentioned, the time was time was gonna go by way way fast. We've been talking for an hour and twenty minutes or so, and yeah. so we should begin to wrap this up. But as we think about that, like, do you have what would be your your message for our classmates? You know, your kind of like thoughts that you have about just the entire experience and our classmates and what it means to you to be a member of the class of 91. I mean, I, I would say the, the biggest thing that, that I've appreciated about our class um, is that, you know, no, no matter where I was in my career and my journey, um, classmates come out and, and I think it's just a West Point thing in general, but with the class of 91 come out and, and lend a helping hand or connect you up with the right person or, you know, um, you know, try to try to figure out how to lift you up. And I, I, I want, you know, for any classmates that are still in, you know, the, the message is listen, tap into tap into the class the ninety one network and you know, we'll we'll help lift you up. And I think everyone's out there trying to figure out how we can help each other. And I've always respected that really about what but I always felt like, especially with the classmates that I've known, um, it's like they go the extra mile and they've gone the extra mile for me in, in my downturns and um and I just, I, I'm there for anyone, of course, uh, that's out this way or looking for advice on uh, nonprofit work um, and, and trying to make a difference in that in that way. I would say reach out to me anytime. And I'm always a resource. I'm, I'm sure you as well are a resource in what you do with Community Solutions. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a great honor. It's a great, it's a great thing to, to, to have this connection and to have this, uh, this kind of real camaraderie that we have with our with our sisters and brothers in arms it's it was a it was a great experience i mean i didn't really appreciate it as much at the time just what what an incredible lifetime uh network that this would be uh not mm -hmm. just in terms of not not just professionally but just emotionally and spiritually in terms of just mm -hmm. having this having this uh connection so uh, i'm for grateful sure. i'm grateful for your service to our country, your your service to nonprofits, your service to creating value and business and in, in, in the world. So, thank you for so much for for being my guest on the Old Grab Podcast, and uh, thanks for thanks for everything. And good uh, my luck. pleasure. No, thanks for having me. So I'm gonna let the credits roll out and st stick around, and and uh, we'll talk some more. But um, thank you so much, and thanks everybody for joining us. We're we're as a nation, I think, about to go through a pretty tough couple of weeks with this coronavirus. And so uh, we wish the best to our classmates that are out there on the front lines dealing with this, serving our military, serving in the front lines of, of healthcare. You know, Brad Woods is going to be on our, our next podcast. Uh, Moni Washington, who's out there serving our people. And, and um, you know, there's, there's dozens of other classmates that are going to be in, engaged with this from law enforcement to, to government service. Uh, thank you. We know that this country's response to coronavirus is going to have the fingerprints of class of 91 all over it. So thank you very much for joining us, everybody. Duty shall be done. Thank you for joining us.
episode, this edition of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast. Please check back on this Facebook page for information about featured guests and upcoming episodes of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast. Hey, great job, man. Thanks so much for being on. No, my pleasure. It was fun. Yeah, it goes by really fast, doesn't it? Oh, my God, it's quick. I'm going to have to go out and have a whiskey now. After yeah, all yeah. That hard you, work. Sh- you should have had one uh, while we're on, we're on the call. So Yeah, I thought about it, but I would have had to go back to the kitchen. But, yeah, it was good. Like, this kind of thing, I hope more of our do. How many of these have you done so far? Uh, this is number 29. I should have mentioned wow. that at the beginning. I've done 29 of these, so that's a lot of time. A lot of time. Yeah. And you're still enjoying it as much as the first one? Or? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, you, you you get into a rhythm. Although I keep this goddamn technology, though. I got to get this squared away. I got to get it so yeah. it's like it's perfect every time. So this yeah. one's this one was a little was a little um, uncharacteristically, you know, bouncy a little bit. So we got some good comments here from Moni and from Nancy Green. Thank you. Great job. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Nancy, Nancy, and Moni, you guys are both still on the line. You guys can. Uh, I'm going to unmute you if you want to talk, because you you can if you uh, want. I, I saw suggestions for, for some makers, Mark. Is that, is that what we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, good job, <laughs> some makers. Nancy, if you, Nancy, and Moni, if you guys talk, we'll hear you because I I unmuted you. Oh, okay. Hey, nice. is that yeah, Nancy? I'm headed, no, I think I'm headed to cigar bar. What that? I'm a whiskey girl for sure. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Nancy, oh, you. Nancy, you were in China not too long ago, right? You were, you were like, just came back. I am, and I just sent my ticket back today. I'm going back next Monday. Are you really? What are you doing there? Uh, I'm teaching public speaking and coaching debate. Wow. wow. Yeah. So I'm working for a guy that I used to work with at Harvard Debate Camp uh, from like 2012 to 2016. I worked with him at Wake Forest. And um, yeah, it's just a great opportunity. I'm just doing it for a semester to see if I like it. Um, But yeah, I've got an apartment over there. My lease doesn't, you know, end until the end of June. So they're they're resuming class face to face at the beginning of April. So they want me back there now. They want me to leave tomorrow because I have to be in quarantine for two weeks. Wow. So we should get you. We should get you on the old grad podcast. I I, want to get you. I want to get you on the old grad podcast. (laughs) <laughs> I don't have anything military to share. It doesn't matter. I mean, you'd be great for it, I mean, especially from China too. We could uh, do a Skype call. They, they you know, Zoom, I don't know if Zoom works there or not, but um, I was uh, actually, I was actually just there at the beginning of January in China. I was in uh, Shanghai and Ningbo. Okay, yeah, I'm in Shanghai. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where I'm living. Um, but well, I have a VPN, so when that's working, mm-hmm. um, you know, I can get on the internet pretty easily so um yeah i'm kind of nervous about going back but i mean almost it might be safer there than it is i think it is actually i think it is safer there isn't that crazy yeah i mean they've they've contained it and they've kind of pushed past it so i i'm uh my my mother and my sister are convinced that i came back with it and i'm i'm putting i'm putting back the timeline because i got sick when i got home and I wasn't that <gasps> sick. I wasn't that sick. I got. I was there beginning of January. I I came back January fourteenth or fifteenth, and and I was sick like like for a good two weeks. I was sick and I had some of the symptoms, and I and my oh. sister my sister got really sick. Like my sister was sick for a month. Had to get put on steroids. The whole thing. Oh wow! And uh, so I would love to think that we are 
both immune to this now that somehow we had it yeah. early on, which would be great. But um, to, to say that we're immune to it, but I, I don't know if that's even possible. So, well, yeah, I think you're, you're going to be like the, the, the monkey in outbreak. We, we need to find you so we can create the vaccine from your blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, draw that blood, James. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, they, they actually have a new way to do this vac- the vaccine development if they could just approve it through the FDA, which is a biofermentation process, which is a much faster okay. way to get it produced. It just hasn't been approved yet. The, the typical mm-hmm. way is through extracting yolks from eggs in some kind of arcane outdated way, but there's a way to bio bio ferment it. We make drugs that way. We, I mean, we make, you know, pharmaceutical drugs. We should be able to make vaccines that way too. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, but I mean, don't you think that the spike in cases is just because we now know what to test for or, you know, because we weren't really testing for it before. Yeah. I think that's reporting and things like that. Yeah. I think that's right. But you know, the big thing that we talked about is like, like this exponential growth at some point that puts a lot of people into hospitals and then hospitals can't take that, that number of patient load. And so it's like, how do you, how do you smooth that out? So that's the key Mm -hmm. thing. But yeah. Well, I mean, I never felt anything while I was over there. I haven't felt anything here, yeah. but I don't know. I still have people who don't want to hang out with me. Yeah. I have people yeah. like that too, but it's not because of the virus. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I'll just tell myself it's because of the virus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good excuse. So. Yeah, um, but um, but yeah, I'll let you know how it goes when I get back over there. We'll see what it's like. So. Okay, you get how long are you gonna be there for? Until the end of June. Okay. I don't think I'll be back before then, but it would be cool if I, if I were, we could get together in Shanghai, but I won't be. Oh yeah, that would be cool. My, my youngest son is graduating from college, uh, in Birmingham, Alabama, May 8th. And I do have tickets to come back for that on the 6th, but Mm. I just don't, I won't be able to come back if they'll quarantine me. Mm. You know, I, I just missed the whole graduation, so it wouldn't matter. So mm. I just got to play that by ear. But Alabama doesn't even have a case, I don't think, and his college is doing online classes till April. So yeah, yeah, like most 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 colleges in, in high school, everyone's moving that way. I've got my kids home for three weeks now. Well, yeah, I know. Alabama. I bet you're gonna have so much. Fun. Yeah. Well, if you need math help, they can call me. <laughs> Perfect. Alabama has 12, I've been a 12 cases. For 25 years. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Alabama has 12 so cases, many. in case you're Warner. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, goodness. Hmm. Better than uh, 80, and I'm really, huh? it's Better than 80,000. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm currently in West Virginia. I don't think West Virginia has any at all no, either. That's the that only state. The only state that doesn't have any is West Virginia. Are you serious? Yeah. yeah. Every state has. Every but state has. Except there's, we grew up around so many chemicals. <laughs> I'm from a town called Nitro. I know of what mm. I speak. So. Yeah. No. <laughs> you even have real blood. You've got just chemicals and running through your system, killing everything that comes in. <laughs> we, we glow in the dark at night, too. Yeah. Well, y'all did a great job. It was so interesting. I love you. Um, that business, I'm sure that's an amazing service. Um, yeah. Wow. We're, we're hoping so because I'm 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 putting everything into it. And trying to- there you go. 
Well, it sounds like it's a good basket to put all your eggs in. So. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, well thanks for everything, Thank, I love listening. Thank you. Love to have you on the on the call. You're you're one of our uh, most uh, I think dedicated listeners. I think you've made almost every one. So thank you for being on. <laughs> it. I got to get you on. You'd I'm be happy. awesome to do it, especially from China. It'd be a lot of fun to have you there from China. So please consider it. Okay. And the other thing too is we okay. we need to have more of our sister female classmates on because like I keep asking people and they say, oh no no, no I want to get more. Mm-hmm. I I I just like I was so fascinated to speak about this topic of of what it was like i i are i would think actually i mean the people the women that had it the hardest at west point were obviously the first couple right like the first couple of years like yeah. 80 81 yeah. 82 but what we forget yeah. about is that class of 90 91 you know even 92 that we did not have any graduate female officers who were back as officers at the academy there were no females yes. that there were no female officers that were also West Point grads when we were there. And so I think right. that that dynamic was one where it was quite interesting because nobody in the academy leadership had the experience of being a female cadet that could basically translate to the leadership like this is the deal. And I think mm-hmm. that 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 is a real that like it wasn't until like class of 90 Six ninety or ninety five ninety six that that began to be the case that people were coming back or ninety probably ninety four actually you think like yeah ten, 10 or twelve years later so I think that's an interesting and our to speak professors about. and our professors were there when there were no women mm-hmm. so wow. yeah you know, so it was yeah it was definitely different so and Captain Flott was our tack was not relatable as a woman. No. <laughs> Yeah, she wasn't anybody you'd go have a heart to heart with either. Well. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, so I would love to unpack that further and just know, like, like that whole that whole dynamic. I think it's fascinating. Well, maybe you could do a panel. I've thought about cool. that. I've thought about doing yeah. a panel with the four women from my company, which would probably be the best one to do because. That there's no bullshit there, right? Like they're gonna call me out on stuff. I uh, we have memories together. Like it's not, like that might be a really powerful thing to do, because I I now, yeah. now now being a father of two daughters, and I I also say this too. Like if I think about the women in my life that have had powerful impact, you know, obviously my mom and my sister, and my wife and my daughters. But right after that, it's those four women. I mean, absolutely, they're like like right there as having had a really monumental impact on on my life and how I, how I just approach, you know, feminism and, and the world as, is what they, what they mm-hmm. taught me. So that's a good well, idea. Well, And that might make it less intimidating for someone to say yes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's if, a really good idea. Had, yeah. Doing like and a, the four girls in my company all have different experience. We had my roommate that left at the end of one month. And then Kathy Smith left at Christmas for grades, but got to come back as a recognized lead. And then I left at the end of two years. So CJ Luker was our only graduate, female graduate out of our company. So Mm -hmm. you have all different scenarios with the women in our group, too. Yeah, that's awesome. Very different. Yeah. Well, I like that panel for sure. Yeah, that'd be cool. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, I loved coming back for the reunion a couple of years ago. It was it was really great. It was great to see all those girls. Yeah, that's fun. 
All right. Well, well I'm gonna, the too. I got to hang up and record this thing, get this recording done and everything. So, uh, anyways, great. All right. Great catch up with you guys. All right. Thanks. thanks Safe travels travels to China. All right. Take care. Okay. Sure thing. Bye. Bye. Good night. Bye-bye.